Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. I say every week, I don't want to leave the same way that I came. And today's the same. I don't want to leave the same way that I came in. Those of you that want to leave the same way, that's fine. But for those of us that don't, we're going to pray right now. We're going to agree together in prayer and ask God to come change us, to come fill us, to come heal us. All of us need healing this morning in one way or the other. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just pray together right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our church. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in Akron, Ohio, and the Great Lakes region. Father, that you are raising up a body of people, a body of believers who are hungry for the presence of the Lord, that are hungry to see this region transformed. Lord, like they said of the apostles, they've come and turned our world upside down also. Lord, we ask that you would turn the world, turn this area, turn this region upside down by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the life of God that's flowing in this church. Lord, we ask that it would increase. Lord, let it increase in my life. Let it increase in my life. Lord, let your power begin to flow through me in a greater capacity. Lord, let me have the eyes and the mind of Christ. Lord, let me see as you see. Lord, even in these last days, Lord, that we would have the mind of Christ, the awareness of the times in which we live. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for sensitivity, Lord, and awareness. Lord, that we would be, even as the sons of Issachar, that we would know what Israel ought to do in the days in which we live. Lord, that we would know what we ought to do, Lord, in this day, in this time, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for spiritual perceptivity, Lord. Thank you, Father, for spiritual gifts and operation in our church and our people. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Give him praise this morning. Give him praise this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for touching lives, transforming lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, I am, I am so excited and I have such an anticipation of things to come in our church and in this region. Uh, you know, we are, we're plowing ground is what we're doing as a church, as a, as a pastoral leadership, as leadership in the church and as a church body, we are plowing ground, spiritual ground in the Great Lakes region. And, you know, it's not those of you that ever have ever done gardening work or if you've ever been, uh, you know, out in the, in the fields. It's not easy to plow ground. <laughs> it's not easy to plow the ground, is it? It's not easy to, it's not easy to do those things, is it? But the, the power of the Lord is present, and he's healing, he's transforming, and, and God wants to touch you, he wants to change you, he wants to use you to impact this region. Y'all still with me? God wants to touch you and use you to change and transform this region. God wants to move in your life, and God wants to do expectantly, exceedingly, abundantly, above anything that we can ask or think or imagine. Y'all with me? Awesome. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Thank you, Lord. 
Acts chapter 19, I believe that God is, uh, is increasing, he's stirring an expectancy of things to come. God is ter- stirring in us an expectancy and a hunger and an anticipation of things to come in our church. In Acts chapter 19, we find, and I'm not going to stay here, but I, I want to start here. I'm going to take a little bit of a journey today. Uh, so we're going to start here. Acts chapter 19, we find Paul in the church of Ephesus. He's come, he's come to the Ephesus or to Ephesus or to the Ephesians, and he's establishing his church there. He finds some disciples and he begins to teach them. He begins to uh, pray for them and part wisdom. And as he's doing this, um, you know, there's a there's a stirring that goes on in the city of Ephesus. Things start to get a there's a ruckus that starts to get stirred up a little bit. How many of you have read the story of the Ephesian church in Acts 19? Well, what I want to focus in on uh, is that Paul takes these disciples and he rents out a hall and he begins to teach them. He begins to uh, have times of impartation and ministry and he's ministering to them and teaching them. And he says in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11, I love this, Acts 19 verse 11 says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick And the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. Amen. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you just stretch your hands this way? Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, we speak healing. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, thank you for healing. Thank you for the healing virtue of heaven touching his body. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for setting him free. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, be free. 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 Every every stronghold loosed in the name of Jesus. Every stronghold loosed in the name of Jesus. You know, that's the presence of the Lord. When you're in a, when you're in, in a service where the, the presence of the Lord comes down, God begins to touch people. He begins to heal people. Things that are bound up in the past begin to come out. <laughs> ah, it's quite awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Things begin to come out. That's what we need. <laughs> Maybe you're here this morning and you have some things that need to come out of you. <laughs> Yeah, that's the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Acts chapter 19, so that handkerchiefs were taken out, aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. Then some of, you know, you have all these exorcists around, and they're wanting to know how this happens. Well, what I, what I want to focus in on here is that the power of God, the presence of God in that city began to cause an expectancy of things to come. The presence of God began to uh, create an expectancy and an anticipation of things that were taking place and that were to come. In Romans chapter 15, if you want to flip over there, that's where we're going to head. I believe that God wants to increase 
Everybody look this way. God wants to increase your expectancy and your anticipation of things to come in your life and in this church. God wants to increase your expectancy and your anticipation for things to come in this region. I believe that we are on the brink of, of an incredible harvest of souls. We're, in, we're on the verge of an incredible harvest of miracles, lives being transformed. And, uh, you know, we were talking last week that, you know, the, Catherine Kuhlman, and there's been many others who've come through this area who have sown seeds of ministry, of revival, of healing, and, and crusades, and all these things. And we've yet to see the, the harvest of all those seeds sown. We've yet to see the harvest of that uh, in, a, in a supernatural proportion. We are living in the last days. How many of you believe that? I believe we're living in the last days. I believe that we are, we are soon approaching a time of unprecedented harvest and unprecedented miracles that God wants to do unprecedented things that we've never even dreamed of, things that we've never even seen or thought of. God wants to do in our region, in our area. Now, that being said, what I, what, and, and I'm just going to take a break from what I, where I'm going in just a moment and, and just share this with you. I believe what we're seeing in the church, and I'm, and I'm speaking not just over this church, but the church at large and the body of Christ, one of the things that we're seeing uh, in preparation for this and in, in preparation for the harvest of souls that's coming uh, in preparation for these unprecedented miracles and all that God's doing, one of the things that we're seeing take place that we've never really seen before. There's always been uh, a lot of division between the generations. There's been a lot of strife between generations. I mean, you know, you got the old people that say they want to do it one way and you got the young people who say we want to do it another way and there's, there's tension. That would never happen at celebration, but because um, we're too spiritual for that, right? Um, but that's, that's the way it is. That's, you know, that's the way it's been. It's the way I've grown up in church. That's been the way that it's always been. There's always been strife and tension. And I believe the closer that we get to this last day harvest and unprecedented miracles of God, the enemy is, and I don't usually talk about the enemy, but, but I will just talk about for a moment his plans and his schemes here. He is working overtime to cause division between the generations. He's working overtime to cause strife between the generations because that is, uh, you know, the, the plan of God is that the, and scripture says this, that the older would teach the younger, that the older would begin to mentor the younger. And that's, that's what God is, that's his desire, is that, that we would begin to be unified. Y'all hear what I'm saying? That we would begin to operate in unity and not operate in strife or dissension. Look this way. God wants to touch you. He wants to change your heart and move in your life that there's not strife or dissension between the generation that's older than you or younger than you. One of the things that I believe that God is doing, and this is where I was headed, is that God wants to bring a, uh, and the only, the only, term that, that I, and I'll use a business term here. Uh, we use this in, in business world. This term's used in the business world a lot, uh, but it's the only term that I can uh, really grasp onto in my own, in my own language uh, to describe this, but it's, it's a synergy, if you will, between generations, that God is bringing a cohesiveness and a bond and a unity between the generations. Y'all follow what I'm saying? 
And so I want to encourage you that, that God is not, God is not a God of strife and dissension. If you're, if you're, and I'm not saying this for any particular reason other than the Holy Spirit said to this morning, because this is way off my notes and my plan for this morning. Um, but, uh, if, if you, if you will come into alignment and in the, in the quicker that you do this, you and I do this, the better off we'll be. <laughs> the quicker, the quicker that we come into alignment with the plans of God, the better off we'll be. But, but when we begin to yield one generation to the next and we begin to operate in love and unity with the next generation, the quicker that we will see the blessing of the Lord on that. Where when, when you live in strife and dissension, there is no commanded blessing. But when you live in unity with one another, there's commanded blessing. The Lord says in Psalms 133 that I'll bless that. I'll pour out. I'll command my blessing on that. And, uh, you know, that, that takes on a lot of different forms. And, and I realize there's, there's things that have got to give. But one of the key areas uh, that have, has got to be dealt with, one of the key areas that we have got to see uh, some change in, in this generation, and I'll get to my scripture in just a moment, uh, for those that are wondering, but I'm just, I, I'm just speaking what I see God doing in this day. One of the things that's, that has to happen, we have, we've got a younger generation that has moved away from the moorings of our faith. We have a younger generation that no, long, no longer preaches salvation by faith alone, by grace alone. We have a, we have a uh, whosoever will uh, can come, but whosoever will is going to go to heaven too. And that, that's not scriptural. <laughs> that's not scriptural. That uh, this universalistic mentality that everybody's going to heaven is not scriptural. And that is being largely embraced, especially by the younger generation. Uh, and that's, that's not godly. That's not scripture. So there's got to be a, a reconnection, if you will, of the, of the moorings of our faith. There's gotta come, we've got to come back to. We, you can get rid of living the dream because I, I'm not even going there today. Uh, I'm going I'm to preach Romans 15, 13, but that's not, the, that's not where I'm going. <laughs> um, God just kind of morphed this message in a moment of time. Um, but uh, anyway, I was, so we've got to come back to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, a mooring of our faith. We've got to come back to the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And everybody said... Amen. We've got to come back to the basics that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost so that you and I might, the next act of, of or grace, act of grace or work of God is that we might receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we'll take a look at that today. But so we, we have to receive, there's a, there's a uh, salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, and then we step in and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That mooring, the mooring of uh, healing, that there's healing in the covenant uh, of the cross. There's healing made available. There's divine healing. We believe in divine healing and supernatural healing. It may come instantaneously. It may be a process, but God still heals. And I expect and believe for miracles. Amen. I believe that God can work miracles. I believe in doctors and I, I thank God for modern medicine and we'll never, we'll never say to you, uh, stop your medication because God said it. That's not something you're going to hear here. I know uh, in a lot of Pentecostal circles, again, there's people that have moved away from the moorings. This is what we're talking about. People have moved away from the moorings, the foundation of scripture. And uh, they teach that if you've been healed, you can just stop your medication, stop going to the doctor and 
and all those things. I would say to you, the doctor will confirm what God's doing. And so if you're truly healed, if you've truly been touched by God, the doctor will confirm those things. I believe in miracles. I believe engaging our faith, but there's uh, some practicality to that as well. It's God doesn't, God gives us a brain. Okay, I'll get off that. Um, <laughs> so there's healing, and then there's the Jesus is coming back. You missed an opportunity to shout, Jesus is coming back. <laughs> that is the foundation of our faith. And he's coming probably a lot sooner than what you and I think he is. You know, we've, the younger generation has moved from preaching the urgency of Christ's imminent return. Let me say this, when you have an encounter with the presence of God, when you experience God for yourself and in your personal life, you get a reality check of the imminent return of Christ. Yeah, there's something that that just turns in your heart, in your spirit, man, and you realize the reality of Scripture that Jesus could come back at any moment. Jesus places within you, as you encounter him, this, this supernatural urgency and expectation of things to come. And uh, so I just want to say to you that, that there, there is uh, a merging, if you will, or synergy or reconnect, whatever, of these doctrines um, in, in a younger generation. I've been surprised over the past couple of weeks seeing younger pastors and embracing these. And this is what's going to happen. Let me just, I've, I've, sorry, I've stepped in this whole prophetic vein here for a moment. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll preach, but I feel like this is important and urgent for us to hear. Um, so there, there is this reconnecting of these, of these scriptures and, I, and these doctrines. I've been surprised at the younger generation that's, that's recapturing this. It's awesome. There's a hunger and there's a thirst for these things uh, again. And it's awesome. We're beginning to see the shifting of these things. But on the flip side of that, the younger needs to embrace the moorings of the old. How many of you were raised on those four basic scriptures, those four basic doctrines of our faith? We all have those moorings and, the, you know, uh, we got to stick to those. But on the flip side of that, the older, the older generation, the generation that has been around a while, we hold tight to our moorings, we hold tight to the fundamentals of our faith, but we understand that the methods of what God is doing change. Perfect example. We, how many of you go out in your backyard today and made a sacrifice before you came into church? Okay. Now, obviously, we don't do that. The, the sacrifice was made, and I'm not making light of that. The reality is, is that Christ became the ultimate sacrifice. So, we, we don't do, so the method of the Old Testament was fulfilled in the person of Christ. And so we, sometimes God changes methods. In the younger generation, he does things a little different. You know, there's colored lights on the wall and fog overhead and then smoke screen. You know, there's, there's things that look and they appeal different. There's these full color, you know, everything everywhere and it's all creative. There's a lot of creativity, a lot of creativity in the younger generation. And we ought not run from that. We need to embrace the creativity because this is why the creativity that's being displayed in this younger generation is a display. It, it is a, it is a outward display of the creativity of God. And so when we, when we shun, and I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying we need to get weird. And, and I know sometimes in the older generation, I've been in churches with the older generation, have been leaders and have dealt with all of, you know, and sometimes we start thinking, well, if we start accepting the younger, that means we're going to have people come in our church with purple spiked hair and, you know, weird clothes and all those things. Well, we might. <laughs> we might. You know, that means that we might have 
people that, that don't fit the, yeah, we might. <laughs> Guess what? They have locked within them. This is why this is so important. They have locked with inside of them the creative DNA of their heavenly father. And that creative DNA is being displayed in a worldly context because the church has not accepted or understood that creativity and has shunned them out the door instead of saying, we welcome you in, let that creativity flourish, but let it flourish to glorify God instead of your worldly nature. And so what we have to do is embrace that and say, look, we understand you've got creativity. God's using that. He's going to use that in these last days. That's why, that's why there's such a huge huge awareness online of the, of the church. That's, that's how we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That's how ISIS is re recruiting all of these younger uh, recruits. They have, uh, most of their recruits are between the ages of 15 and 20, and how they're doing that is through social media and an online presence. It's all social video, all those things. And so the church has had a disadvantage because the people that are creative in those areas we've shunned we've oh we don't want we you know we don't want the video and the creative things we don't want that's that's different that's outside of what we're used to just give us never mind just give us what we're just give us our tradition and we'll be okay and so we've run and 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 don't don't misunderstand me I, I, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not being disrespectful to either. The younger generation needs to learn from the older and the older the younger. That's what I'm talking about. There needs to be synergy between the two. And when we do, when we have the synergy, when we appreciate the diversity, then we step into the commanded blessing of the Lord. So anyway, that's a free message for you this morning. <laughs> but Romans, talking about expectancy uh, Romans 15, that's what, this is where I want to get to because I have, I have an expectancy of things to come. And that's that little snippet, that little preview of the synergy and the connection, the reconnect to the generations is what I believe is happening. It's what I believe we're seeing and that's transpiring. Um, and honestly, those, those that reject that idea or reject that concept won't stick around Heather and I very long. And the reason is because we, we value the diversity of both and we value the value, we value the, the creativeness and the uniqueness of the younger and what God's doing in the younger. And we value the diversity and the doctrine and the wisdom of the older. I loved, you know, Pastor Charles would come to our, our staff meetings, still does. He comes to our staff meetings and he, you know, he brings his teachings and his Bible and he's, you know, he's got ageless wisdom. And I love, I love when Pastor Charles sits there and says, I love what you're preaching. You're, you know, this is the word of God, preaching the word of God and, you know, going on. I love that. Why? Because it's a man of wisdom who has experience, who's coming in saying, this is the doctrine of the Lord. We're exalting Jesus in our church and people are being changed. That's what we want. So we value that. We value both, you know, when we got here, some, some folks said, well, you don't like the hymns or whatever. I love the hymns. I don't know what you're talking about. We love the hymns. We love the hymns. You know, we did two of them this morning. We love the hymns. But I also love, you know what I also love? I love the creative nature of our younger generation that says, not only can we do a hymn, but we've got a cool way to do it too. And they add their own little flair to it. And we worship God collectively. All right, I'll get off all that. Romans chapter 15. Uh, Romans chapter 15. I have an expectation of things to come. Verse 13 says, now may the God of hope, everybody say hope. That is a bad translation. 
and uh, we'll, we'll get there in a second. How many of you know sometimes our English language doesn't pick up the full, uh, fullness of the original? And so we'll talk about that in a second. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Everybody say all joy. All joy and peace in believing. I love that. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may what? Abound. Everybody say abound. God doesn't want you to merely get by. He wants you to abound (laughs) in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want you to have a wimpy Christianity. If your Christianity is on life support, I have good news for you this morning. You're in the right place. God wants your Christianity to abound this morning. He wants your expectation to increase. He wants you to have a holy expectation of things to come. That word hope, uh, that word hope in the original language is a joyful, confident expectation. God wants you to have a Joyful, confident expectation. The word abound means to exceed, to overflow, to be abundant, to furnish one so richly that he has abundance. In other words, God wants you to be overflowing and abounding with a joyful, confident expectation that those around you are impacted by the overflow of your life. When you have, when you have so much that, that so much is an overflow, You know, there is a, you know, the old quote, there's an old quote, too much is not enough. God wants you to have overflowing and abounding supply of expectation so that those around you are affected uh, by the hope that you have. Peter said that we ought to be ready in any season, at any opportunity to give an answer for the hope, the expectation that we have. Is there expectancy on the inside of you and is that expectation overflowing in your, in your life? In, in Acts chapter 19, we saw a picture of this in Acts chapter 19, that the church at Ephesus grew in their expectation. There was a hunger and a desire for the presence of the Lord. And God began to do, the Bible says, extraordinary miracles. Now, that by itself is, is a play on words because miracles in and of themselves are extraordinary. Miracles, would you not agree? Miracles in and of themselves are a little unordinary. But, but Jesus, uh, but but. Uh, Paul uh, was doing, by the, by the hands of Paul, God was doing extraordinary, unordinary, unordinaries. He was doing things, taking handkerchiefs, you know, the, his handkerchiefs. People would take his handkerchiefs and, and lay them on the sick and they would get healed. Demons would be cast out and so forth. I was in a church one time and, and we were um, praying for folks around the front. And uh, in the service, we had, it was a, we had had a powerful service while I was preaching. God gave me a word of knowledge that, that someone was there with um, stomach, stomach or some sort of, I don't even remember what it was, gallbladder or something, problems that he wanted to heal. God wanted to heal those. If that's you, come forward. And this 15-year-old girl with her mom comes down to the front. She had, she had a bad gallbladder or whatever, and they had to remove it. They were going in to remove at 15 years old. I mean, how, how traumatic this, this organ. And um, I looked at her and I said, I feel that the Lord would say that he's healing your body. He's touching your body. We prayed for her. 
And uh, the next week I got a phone call from the pastor that said that that girl was completely healed. She went to the doctor before they did the surgery. They ran more, you know, tests and stuff to make sure everything was still as it was. And they found out that she was totally healed, completely healed. She didn't need the surgery. So that was kind of the service. It was a pretty intense service. One of the ladies comes up to me while while I'm praying for folks and she said, "My, uh, my son is at home. And he is, you know, she didn't want to use the word demon-possessed, but she kind of alluded to it. And there's tension in the home. There's strife in the home. There's always darkness in the home. I don't know what he's gotten involved with. He won't come to church. Can you pray for him? I said, I'll do something more than that. I want to send you with something. And I I was looking for a hanky, and that's why I started carrying hankies with me. That and I sweat. But, um, (laughs) but. all they had, how many of you remember those, those doily things that go over Kleenex boxes? Yeah, well, that's all they had. So we took a doily off a Kleenex box. Somebody, somebody, I think it was the pastor's wife, gave me a doily. So I'm walking around with a doily praying for people. And we get done praying for people, and I said, take this home, and I want you to, I want you to put it in the, between the box springs and the mattress. Don't tell him that it's there. Just put it in there. Just see what God does. Just put it in there, and I, I promise you God's going to come, and he's going to change the atmosphere of your home. So that's what she did. When, I, when the pastor called me back, he said, you know, in the update, he said, I want to tell you that she's done that, that the lady took the doily home, didn't tell her son, and she told us that the, the atmosphere of the house has completely changed. Her son is uh, amazingly living at peace. There's peace now in the home. Why? Because the tan, the, 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 power of the Lord, the presence of God is tangible. It's a tangible substance. It's a person, really. The power of God is a person. It's found in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe in this last day visitation outpouring, there's going to come some things that we're going to look at. We're going to say, wow, that's unusual. <laughs> That's an ordinary miracle. That's an unordinary miracle that God would save a person like that. Wow. That God would heal this person or do this work in that person. Think about the, the lame man. In Mark chapter 2, it tells the story of the lame man who couldn't, he couldn't get into the house. The house was so full of people that he couldn't get in. And here come these four friends of his, pick him up and carry him. He was lame to the point he couldn't walk, he couldn't move, he couldn't do anything for himself. His friends come along and they tear a hole in the roof. A little unordinary, a little unusual. Why did they do that? They had an expectancy that if they could get the man before Jesus, he would be made whole. They had a, they had a holy expectation. They were full of a joyful and confident expectation of things to come. Can I tell you that expectation is the atmosphere of miracles? That if God, if you want to see God do something incredible beyond anything you could ask, think, or imagine, unordinary miracles, if, if you can have just a little bit of expectation in your life, it creates the atmosphere for the supernatural in your life. If you come, you know, we were talking. Um, Don Lee and I were talking last week about Catherine Kuhlman in the meetings. He was a, he was a teenager in Catherine Kuhlman's meetings. And remember seeing the 20,000 people that had come out to the meetings. How awesome. He said, but the atmosphere was full of expectancy. 
When people came, they came expecting to meet with God. It wasn't necessarily about Catherine Kuhlman, the person on the stage. They knew because of her ministry that they were going to have an encounter with God in that place. And I want to say to you the same is true. That if you will come corporately as we come together with an expectation, a joyful, confident expectation of what God wants to do, the atmosphere of the church will begin to change and the atmosphere of your life will begin to change. It's the, it's, the, it's the place where God begins to move. The woman with the issue of blood. She had had an issue for 12 years. I, I've, I just taught on this four weeks ago, so I don't want to rehash this. If you weren't here on Wednesday night, you just have to listen to the podcast because I did a whole teaching on the woman with the issue of blood. But she had expectancy. The Bible says that she heard about Jesus. She heard about the miracles of Jesus and she said, but if I could just touch the hem, if I could just touch the, the, the tassel, if you will, of his garment, I know I will be made whole. I know that my, my issue will be taken care of. All of us in this room this morning have issues. Amen. All of us have issues in our life. It may be your finances. It may be your family. You may be religious and stuck in the mud. You may be fearful. You may be whatever it may be. We all have issues. But if we come with expectancy that if I can just get a hold of the garment of Jesus today, it's not about Pastor Zach or Pastor Grace or anything that happens really on the stage. Or the, If I can just come and get a hold of Jesus today, I know I'll be made whole. Not just corporately, but personally. Man, can you imagine when you wake up in the morning and you start to go about your day with expectancy? Sometimes you just need to start speaking the positive word of God over your life. You're, you're, like I said earlier, Christianity is on life support Monday and Tuesday. You have to come to church on Wednesday, get revved up, get a shot of uh, morphine or something and go back out. And, you know, that's, that's not what God's called us to do. That's not the life he's called us to live. He's called us to live an overcoming life, a life full of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So that's the life I want to live. That's the life I want to live. That's where expectancy comes in. I have to have an expectation, a joyful, confident expectation of things to come in my personal life. That when I step foot outside my door today, there is somebody I'm going to encounter that needs the love of Jesus that I've experienced. I have a word for somebody today. I'm going out of my house prepared with a scripture, ready to give it to somebody today. And you allow that scripture to just brood in your spirit to stir and percolate in your spirit, man. You get out and you go to work and all of a sudden you realize, wow, this person I'm working with, this scripture applies to them. Hey, you know what? I, I think the Lord wants to do something in your life. I, I believe and you begin to, you don't even have to say, thus says the Lord, Jeremiah chapter one, verse one. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, he will causeth thee to walketh thee. And the, no, no, no. You don't have to do all that. Just say, hey, I just feel like the Lord wants to touch you. And, and, and Jeremiah, the, you know, uh, God said that, uh, to Jeremiah that he loved him, that he knew him in his mother's womb. And, and that's probably just a good word of encouragement for you, that God knows your situation. He knows what you're facing. And I believe that God wants to just encourage you in what you're going through. Don't, don't look to the right or the left. You just start going down the scriptures. You don't have to, you don't have to be stuffy and religious about it. 
and you have an expectation that as you release the word of truth, that it's going to produce fruit in their life. God says, my word will never return void. So if you just begin to speak the word over them, you don't even have to say it's the word. You just begin to speak the word, and it produces harvest in their life. Amen. So there's got to be an expectation in our hearts of things to come. Uh, There has to be a joyful, confident expectation. Why would our expectation decrease? Before we talk about, uh, Paul gives us here how to increase our expectation. How might our expectation decrease? One, we have lack of personal devotion to fuel the flame. We have lack of a personal devotion that fuels the flame. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, I thank God for the gift that was placed in you by the laying on of my hands. I thank, I thank God for your spiritual heritage. I thank God for, for the heritage that you have. I thank God that you were with me in ministry and I laid my hands on you. And there was an impartation when I laid my hands on you and you received something. But Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that's in your life. If you take a look at the ten virgins, the virgins went out, half went with oil and half went without oil. They all had their lamps. They all were ready for the bridegroom. They were all expecting the bridegroom. Five went ready with oil for a late night. And five went just prepared for a short-term soon coming. I will tell you this, that we have to fan into flame the gift of God that's within us. If you don't, uh, if you don't fan it into flame, nobody else will. If you come to church expecting me to fan your flame, you're going to be sadly mistaken. I have to fan my own flame. (laughs) I'll give you word and I'll give you tools and the resources to fan it up and to stir it up, but you've got to take responsibility for your own spiritual life. Secondly, Another way that it it decreases is we do ministry, but we don't receive. It's awesome to serve. It's awesome to pour out. But Paul told the church in Ephesus, be being filled. Keep being filled. If you pour out and don't receive, you eventually become an empty bucket. You start pouring out of dead works. You start pouring out dry works. You start pouring out crusty religious works. You're just doing it because it's the right thing to do or you've made a commitment, but there's no life that's coming out of you. It's not spiritual life. It's just the works. It's just doing good deeds. And those things are great, but we don't want good deeds. Oh, it got quiet in here. We don't want just good deeds. Good deeds are great, but they have to be the work of God in and through your life. It needs to be the Spirit's unction flowing through your life. What good, Acts 17 says, what good can a man or what, what can man add to God by doing good works? God doesn't need your good works. And, and surely... Man doesn't need good works. We have, a, we have a whole lot. I mean, in this day and age, especially this younger generation, has caught on to the, the humanitarian effort, humanitarian work. The, the young, young generation is caught by humanitarian efforts. We have a whole generation that understands good works, but they don't understand spirit works. They don't understand Jesus' works or God's works, whatever you want to call it. They don't, they don't understand being motivated and propelled by the unction of the Holy Spirit. They do it in their own strength. And so I would say, yes, we need to welcome that generation in, but they need to understand that when you, when you go and you go, and I'm going to set somebody free this morning. <laughs> well, I'm not, but the word of God will. when you go and you go and you go and you go and you do and you do and you do and you do even if it's good works 
without receiving, all you're doing is pouring out, pouring out, not taking anything in, and you're going to drive yourself crazy into a place of burnout. That's why we have so many people that are doing ministry, not, not here specifically, but just the body of Christ at large, people doing ministry that get burnt out. That's why so many pastors get burnt out because they're doing things in their own effort and doing things they weren't intended to do. They were called to pastor. They were called to lead and flow. When you, when you receive from God and you begin to pour out of what you've received, it becomes very natural. It's the overflow. It's not something that you have to make happen. You've received something from God and it flows out of you. Okay, I'll move on. I got it. Got it. Loud and clear. <laughs> Number three, how it decreases loss of your first love. The church of Ephesus, great example. They were the revival hub of Asia Minor. These, all these churches were started because of the ministry of Ephesus. And God says to them in Revelation, I hold this against you, that you've lost your first love. When you begin to lose your first love, you begin to lose or wane your expectation. When you're passionately in love with your spouse, when you're passionately in love with someone, the natural overflow, the result of that is, is an expectation of things to come. Fourthly, you grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How you do that? Ungodly living, disobedience to the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit and it affects your expectancy. And then fifthly, unforgiveness. Hebrews 12, 15 says, don't allow the root of bitterness to spring up and defile many. Now he's talking to the church. Don't allow the, within the church, don't allow a root of bitterness to spring up and cause the, the, the grace of God in your midst to become ineffective because of bitterness. Wow. Scary. So those things decrease our expectation. But Paul gives us right here in this verse how to increase our expectation. He says, this expectation will abound as a result of one being filled with all joy. You and I need to be filled with the joy of the Lord. Somebody just said, oh boy, here we go again. He's talking about the joy. Yes, I am talking about the joy. The reason you said that is because you're unjoyful. <laughs> Depressing Christianity is the result of religious works with no hope. If you're depressed, there's no expectation. If your Christianity's on life support, you have no expectation. There's no joy. You've gotten bitter. You've gotten discouraged. You've, you've not fanned into, fan into the flame. You've gotten focused on life's hurts and the brokenness instead of the overcoming power of Christ in your life. Joyful Christianity is the result of the word, the reality of who God is in his word, and the reality of who he is by experience joining. When you have spirit and truth meet, you have a revelation. The word of God becomes real. The experience of God becomes real, and it, it clicks. I can tell you all day long that honey is sweet, and you can know in your mind that honey is sweet, and you can go and study on Wikipedia that honey is really sweet. You can Google search it. You can do it all. Honey is sweet. But until you taste honey, then you realize, oh, honey is sweet. Why? Experience and knowledge, the word and understanding meet. I won't give you all the scriptures because I don't have time this morning, but I went through and I looked up a scripture in every book of the Bible about joy. 
So I have 66 scriptures here, and I won't give you the time. I won't give you time or take your time by giving you all of them. But let's just say joy is a very common theme in the Bible. <laughs> so if you have a problem with joy, if you go through your Bible, I promise they're there. I'll share one of them with you because I, I love this scripture. Genesis 21 and verse 6 says, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. <laughs> it's okay to laugh. <laughs> yeah, Mary, yeah, she, yeah, she laughed. She laughed. Why? Because she was buried. She thought the promise of God was dead. But when she, when the joy of the Lord began to affect her, expectancy was increasing. She had a hope of things to come. She had a joyful, confident expectation that she was going to give birth to a child. Amen. So we'll fast forward through all of these scriptures. I'll just tell you they're there. Zechariah 2.10, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst. That's a, that's a good reason to be joyful. God is coming. He's going to dwell in our midst. Amen. In John chapter 15.11, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be Full, overflowing. That word full is overflowing. That God wants your joy to be completely inundated in your life. His joy in you and your joy in him. He said these things. By these things that I've spoken, your joy, my joy will be in you. What things, what things did Jesus say? The first thing he said, by this is my father glorified. How is joy produced? By this is my Father is glorified, that you are fruitful. In other words, God is glorified when we are most satisfied in him. When we begin to pursue God, how is fruit produced? It is not by your good deeds. It's not by works, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.8. It's not by your good works that we're saved. Fruitfulness in your life is produced. It is the effect of abiding in Christ. Not doing ministry. Not doing the right things, abiding. Pursuit of his presence. That is how fruitfulness is produced in your life. So God is most glorified when I am satisfied with him. When God is enough for me. When, God's, when God satisfies my desires. When God satisfies my needs. There is a, there is a, in, there is a eternal capacity in each one of us for God-sized joy. There, there is a capacity in each one of us to find joy in this life, and it can only be found in Jesus Christ. It can only be found by abiding in him. That's why you have people that are strung out on drugs. That's why you have people strung out on relationships, gossiping, lying. All of church people do it too. It's why, it's why we have the problems. We're trying to find pleasure. We're trying to find joy in something that doesn't satisfy, brings limited fulfillment. The Bible says that sin is pleasurable only for a season. And once that season is up, guess what? You're depleted even more than you started with. It's like it not only does it go in, it takes out with, with it. It takes extra with it. And uh, so we have to be filled with the joy of the Lord. The Westminster Catechism, I love this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the second thing that Paul says here is that you will have peace in believing. So we have to be filled. Everybody say filled. filled. <laughs> with the joy of the Lord. Yeah, yeah, that's good. You could say that too. You have to be filled. You have to be filled with the joy. <laughs> filled with the joy. You have to be filled with the joy. Uh-huh. And you have to 
have peace and believing. Filled and peace. You got to have filled and peace. You got to have the filled with the joy of the Lord and peace and believing. What does that mean? Peace comes as a result from believing by faith. The, the, the peace that we have with God comes by faith because Romans 5, 1 and 2, I'll read that for you, says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory of our God. What does that mean? We have been justified by faith and have peace with God. What is justification? You're guilty. You are guilty as charged, but God declares you righteous. Because of who Christ is, you are guilty, you are a sinner, but Jesus has declared you righteous. And because of that, we have peace with God. Romans 8, 33 says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who can condemn you? Who can, who can condemn you? God has justified you. God has declared you righteous. If God justifies you, then being secure, I've said this before, being secure in our justification uh, gives us peace to cooperate with God in our sanctification. When we understand that we're justified, we're declared righteous, we now have peace with God for him to begin to work on us and transform us and change our lives. That's what sanctification is. We have to be sanctified. We have to be changed. We have to be transformed by God. Amen. So the peace that we have with God comes as a result of us being justified. Now, God did not turn, uh, you know, turn his head or, or give, a, give a, uh, a look over sin. The, the justice of God towards sin in your life was executed on the cross. So we, for us to say, you know, that everybody's going to heaven just because God loves you and all those things. No, no, no. You have to accept the finality of the work of Jesus on the cross. There has to be a relationship with God that comes through forgiveness of sin, being justified because of what God did on the cross. Galatians 3 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse himself, that the blessing of Abraham. Everybody say that. The blessing of Abraham. How many of you have ever studied the blessing of Abraham? That's what I expected. I would, I would encourage you, you need to know what blessing comes your way. Yeah. Let's just start. <laughs> Y'all okay if we just take a side journey here? <laughs> I will. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just look real quickly. Uh, in Genesis 13, now Genesis 12, Genesis 12 starts the dialogue between God and Abram. But I'll, I'll, I'll just give you the end portion of this so you, you know where to go when you get home. Because I know everybody goes home and studies, studies what they've heard in church. So, so Genesis, there's a subtle laughter. You can hear that subtle, ha, 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 ha. Genesis 13. Verse 14 says, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes up and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I give you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, and your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through the length its width, for I give it to you. And Abraham moved his tent, and he went, and he dwelt by Terebith, the trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron. All of, so the blessing of the Lord, basically it starts that we become children of the promise 
we are now brought in by Jesus Christ to the children of, of the promise as Gentiles. We're brought in to, as children of the promise of God. But more than that, we begin to walk in the fulfillment of that promise. When's the last time that you walked around your, your house or you walked around the city and said, God's given me this city? quiet in here. When's the last time you've drove through, the, through, through Akron or through the falls or through Stowe or through wherever you live? God's given me this city. I know God's given me the blessing of this city. I claim this city unto the Lord. I, I claim this city as being born again. I believe that the promise of God to the, to the house of Abram, I claim that promise on behalf of my city and about, on behalf of my region. I do. When I drive, I, man, Route 8 is going to get born again. Anybody on Route 8, I go up and down between, between our house and this church. It's no wonder people are driving up to the church and saying, i got to come to church. I don't know why I'm here. I'm here. Why well, I'm driving down that road every day praying. I'm claiming the promise of God for our city, that the, that the promise, the faithfulness of God to Abraham will be brought in our, in our church, in our region. We need to stand on the promise of God. We have peace in believing. We have all the fullness of joy. And as the result of that, the Bible says here in Romans 15, 13, that you may abound in a joyful, confident expectation. Why? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I said this a couple weeks ago, and I'll wrap up with this. Joe and Grace, all y'all can come back. A um, couple weeks ago, on a Wednesday night, I took time and I, and I taught on... Uh, getting Jesus out of the back seat. And uh, the whole purpose in that teaching was, I had heard, uh, I'll just I'll say it, I heard a couple people say, well, the Holy Spirit's taking a back seat to, to Jesus in this church. <laughs> or the Holy Spirit, what he said, what she said, backwards. The Holy, Jesus is taking a back seat to the Holy Spirit. There you go. And I thought, now that doesn't make very much good sense. <laughs> that makes a lick of hill of beans of sense is what I said. I said, now that just tells me, so as a, you know, my carnal nature, I just get frustrated because I'm thinking you have no understanding of the Trinity or who God is if you say things like that. So then as a pastor, my pastoral gift kicks in and I say, okay, well then that means I need to teach the people on the Trinity and, and have, have everybody understand this. This is an issue, you know? And so I taught on a Wednesday night that, and that's kind of what spawned that, that message is helping people understand that Jesus is not offended when you talk about the Holy Spirit. God is not offended when you talk about Jesus. They are the Trinity. They are all God. They are all God. The, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's job, Jesus made this very, 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 very plain in John 16. At the end of Luke, I'll, I'll start there. At the end of Luke, Luke 24, Jesus said, Do not leave Jerusalem. He repeated it again in Acts 1. Do not leave until you receive the promise of the Father. He is placing a paramount importance on the disciples receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, don't do it. And John 16, he's just washed the disciples' feet. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And before he does, he leaves them with this instruction that the Holy Spirit will come. He will convict the world and he will guide you into all truth. And he will take what is of my Father's and he will reveal it to you. Because what is the Father's is mine and the Holy Spirit will make it known to you. So, the power of the Holy Spirit in this verse, in other words, what Paul is saying is God wants you to know everything he has available for you. 
We have a joyful, confident expectation of things to come when we understand by the Holy Spirit what is available to us as believers. It got quiet in here. When you know what, what is available to you from the Father, there's an expectation of things to come because you know what the Father has, the Holy Spirit's going to make it available to you. You know what the Father has in heaven and what He's speaking and saying over your life and the promises He has for your life. The Holy Spirit is making those things alive and well to you. And so you have a joyful, confident expectation of things to come because the Holy Spirit, you know, will reveal the things of the Father to you. That's why, that's why we teach and preach the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we first hear things, when we hear things for the first time, you know, we get shell-shocked. It's like, wow, I've never heard that before. And it's, it's got to take time to percolate and sink in, you know. You got to go have your cup of coffee and sit down and meditate and read your Bible and figure it out. Well, we've been here for eight months saying the same thing. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Why do we say that? Because we want you to have everything God has available for you. I don't want you living a defeated Christian life. I don't want you living out here on life support. I don't want you living broke, busted, disgusted, depressed, discouraged, in sickness and disease. I don't want you going out. Hey, listen, I am your pastor. <laughs> Shocking. I don't want you as my sheep going out living with the devil every night. I'm not talking about your spouse. I want you to go out and live in victory. I don't want you to come, you know, if you keep coming to the altar, we, we have this thing, we're, we're starting the Hope Center, the Dream Center version, it's the Hope Center. We're getting things up off the ground, working and rolling with that and figuring out organizations in the community to work with and such. And, and Mandy and I were talking, Mandy's our director for that. I was telling Mandy, I said, if we keep having the same people come back for food and money and whatever over and over and over and over, we're not doing, we're failing. We're not doing our job. Our job is to help people transition, get them out of the insecure situation into a secure place, right? So let me say this. If you keep coming to the altar for the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, you keep living in defeat, discouraged. Hey, I'll lay hands until you're a, a, a greased pig ready for the for the boucherie is what we call it in the South, in New Orleans. We'll have a we'll have a pig roast. I'll I'll uh, we'll grease you up real good with the anointing oil until you get good and ready to fry. But but. Isn't it much better that you live in victory on your own? Isn't it much better that you receive all that God has for you? All that God has for you. So, can you put Romans 15, 13 back up? It's coming. They're looking for it. I just want you to see it if you there it is. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in a joyful, confident expectation of things to come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458.
You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so hard.